Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Welcome, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, doing well. Thanks to welcome, or I should say welcome to Crossroads. If you're back or visiting or uh, here for the first time, there's a little card in the seat back in front of you. Just encourage you to take a look at that. Um, we have placed there for prayer requests and other things. You can drop that in the um, offering box in the back when you uh, on your way out. We have been in the book of Ephesians now for the better part of the school year, and we're going to finish up this spring. We're in chapter 4 this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn chapter 4. We'll be in verses 17 through 24 um, this morning. There's a Bible should be under the seat in front of you if you want to follow along. Um, we are all about the paper Bible around here, disconnect, unplug from the distractions, focus on the Word of God. And uh, I'm going to dive in. Let me just pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. And uh, Lord, I think of Psalm 24, Lord. May we fling wide the ancient doors, the gates, that the King of glory may come in. Um, Lord, we don't need another sermon. We don't need just more information. We don't need our intellect tickled. We don't need just some goosebumps, some fellowship. Lord, we need you. We need a move of God. And Holy Spirit, you promise where your word goes out, where your people gather in worshiping you, Lord, that you will move. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. You know where every heart is here. You know where the the very deepest parts of our lives and our soul. Nothing is hidden from you, God. Lord, I pray that you come. You stir us up, Lord. You'd let faith rise. Lord, you would just meet us in a very tangible, powerful way, Lord, through your word and the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, this morning, I want us to dive in on this big question, how do we really change? And uh, it's a huge question, so we're just going to kind of have a little conversation and uh, walk through this. I'm going to throw some things. I hope you'll take some notes. I hope you'll take some questions. And as always, don't let the conversation end here. Go out to lunch, get a coffee, um, wherever you may be, and dive in. Have, a, have some some conversation around this stuff. Let the Spirit of God and, and the body, right? We grow, as you're going to see, one of the main ways we change is not just individuals. It's not just me, autonomous me. It's, it's in community. I need you. You need me. We're in this together to lock arms, to encourage, to push each other along uh, on this journey of change, uh, hopefully healthy change, moving towards um, what Christ, what God's vision for us is all about. Now, I want to just begin, just throw some questions out, um, uh, just to give you to think about. These questions, how we answer them, um, in a large part, is going to determine what we think about change and this idea of, wow, what am I becoming? Um, What do I need to change, even? How do you even think about that transformation? If if you know God, if you know Jesus, it's all about transforming, becoming like Him. Our, Our purpose and everything is wrapped up in Him, and uh, so I just want to give you these questions that even in the Christian life, we can forget uh, what he's called us to. We can forget the magnitude and the power of the gospel and what God has called us to uh, become. And so uh, the first one is just that. What is our purpose? 
What is our purpose? And do you believe that you choose your purpose, that you were just a, a thrown onto this earth, you're a, just a product of, of this wild kind of idea of science and things just happened and you just came together? Or do you believe that you were uniquely created and put together and your soul and spirit was put in you? What is your purpose? Do you believe that you choose your purpose, that you come up with your purpose? Or do you believe you have a higher purpose and the one who created you and knit you in your mother's womb has a purpose, a glorious purpose for you to walk into? Those questions, answering, I should say, those fundamental questions is going to have a massive trajectory when you think about change in your, in your life. Um, and look, we all uh, wrestle with all the, the, the issues around this idea of change when there's things in our life, right, that get a hold of us. Could be habits, could be thought patterns, could be emotional issues, could be physical issues, whatever. We all have stuff and junk we're dealing with. And the question is, how do I change it? How do I really change? How do I really transform? How do I really move past these emotional issues, these physical issues, go down the line of these things? And it comes back to these fundamental questions that we have to really wrestle with. What is my purpose? The second one is, do we believe we have the inner resources to solve our problems? Do you believe you can do it on your own? Do you, believe, do you believe you have everything you can if you pull from science and technology and your know-how, if you get enough self-help, if you get enough seminars, if you pay enough money, if you get enough education, you have enough resources inside you because that's what the world is saying to you. That's what every single higher education in America is telling you and your child. You have the inner resources. You can do it. You just need more education. You just need more process. You just need more um, time to learn and be educated. You have the inner resources. If that's what you believe, your level of change and transformation will be limited by what you can do and by what our culture can do. Right? The big question. And I know for the Christian life, this is, this is where it's so radically different because it begins with this incredible humbling experience to realize I don't have the resources. But God, you do. And I lay down my holding on tight to figure things out. And I need your grace and mercy. I need your power, God, to write and come and do it. What spirit is controlling our mind and our thinking? Now, we'll come to this. this is, all these are out of this section of Scripture, obviously, we're going to look at. Um, but, folks, this is, we're going a little deeper here. What spirit is controlling our mind and our thinking? Do you understand how your inner being even works? I mean, there's, is your mind, do you think it's just your autonomous self in this world? Just you and your thinking, and it's what you're able to, to learn and observe and, and teach yourself? Do you believe that's all that's involved? Or do you believe we live in a spiritual world? Where there is evil forces and there are good forces. And that when it comes to my being is that there's this inner part that's even deeper than my mind and my intellect. And it's actually my spirit that's deep inside my heart and soul that actually impacts my mind, my emotion, and my will. What spirit is controlling your thinking? What spirit is controlling your life? Do you really believe it's just your autonomous self? That you're your own captain of your ship? Because if you do, 
right? That's going to take you down a whole nother line of answering the question of how do you change and is going to answer real quickly just how much that we are actually able to change, right? And here's what I want to really go deep on. Folks, I believe this is a prophetic question um, for people this morning. What I mean by that is I believe that God, through his word here in a minute, is going to take that and he is going to give someone or all of us, hopefully, um, a whole new viewpoint of, of how to look at life. Folks, the majority of people are preparing to die. That's the trajectory of everything in their life. They're not preparing to live. And there's only one thing that can change that radical trajectory in your life. And it's when Jesus comes in who is the way, the truth, the life. And brings his Holy Spirit to inform my mind, my emotion, will. And I have this whole new creation idea of who I am now and what I'm becoming based on my creator, what he's done for me, the love of God in my life. And everything in my life now, I'm starting to change in my trajectories. Man, I'm not, I, I got to get rock myself out of this. I'm not preparing to die. Jesus promised eternal life. I'm preparing to live. And does that impact how I'm living now? Right in what I'm doing. So we'll come back to that. Folks, I believe with all my heart, this right here alone, when you talk about the bringing the gospel in our life and a, a whole new way of living, and especially myself getting older, when you start getting older, the questions start hitting you. Physical, man, am I, am I going to take, do I have enough money to retire? You know, all these kind of questions hit you, right? Is, well, my family, my, man, I have my will in line, da, 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 da. And you can get so consumed by that. Guess what? You lose life. And then what the world says, well, man, you just need to add some vacation. You need to travel more. You need to do that. You need to get some more goals. You need to do this and that and that. All those are great. But they're still trying to do my bucket list because I'm dying. And I got to get some stuff in before I croak. And folks, that is not living. That's preparing to die. And that really is ultimately quite morbid, honestly. And so this alone, folks, when Jesus comes in, whew, what should happen is this radical, when he says you're a new creation, he means it. And it's a trajectory from death to life. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have a whole new way of looking at life and where things are going. And it should affect everything, relationships, business, my future, my vision, my plans. I'm preparing to live, and I'm going to let that be the story of my life. And that radically changed. When I'm hit with suffering, when I'm hit with big things in life, why God questions in life and everything else, man, if I can stand on that idea that, Lord, but I got life ahead of me, it'll bring hope and the power into the moment of suffering and struggle that I'm dealing with in my life. So we'll come back to that, all right? Here we go. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Um, so Paul now is moving in the book of Ephesians. He's laid out the first part of his book, unbelievable theology. He's blown our minds with a heavenly perspective and all this stuff if you've been with us. And now he's moving into the practical, ethical, what does this mean for our lives, not just individually. Now, let me just say this, um, is again, we read this because we've been so conditioned with a very selfish individual view. All of this is written to the church. So this is not to be done just alone. It's to be done with each other in fellowship. 
And that will change even how we look at things and how we go about um, seeing change in our life and really, right, ultimately seeing transformation. So here we go. He says, now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer, church, walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and to, and, the, and to corrupt through deceitful desires and to, put, uh, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, the word of God. All right, so let's dive in. I have four things here. I hope you'll take them. I hope you'll really think about them. They're very simple, but they're absolutely profound. We're going to camp out on the last one and swing back around to this idea of, am I preparing to die or am I preparing to live? But it begins right here, is believe and receive the gospel. Jesus tells, or Paul writing to the church, he says, church, how did you learn Jesus? How did you learn Christ? Is you cannot, and he's writing to a church in Ephesus at the time of, of this writing. Ephesus was growing. It was this very cosmopolitan place. Rome had come in. It was, uh, you know, uh, you can go there today and still see some of the amazing, the library that was, and other things that were there. But this is one of the places where emperor worship rose, right, to the, one of the highest uh, um, levels. Uh, and it was the temple to Domitian. You still go and see parts of that today. And that was where they first, you had to walk in and had to sprinkle a little incense and, and say Caesar was the Lord. And, of course, that was fine for everybody because most people were polygamous and there was, they had a thousand gods. It didn't matter. But this is where, boy, the persecution started here because a Christian could not in good conscience say anybody was Lord except Jesus, right? And, um, and so Ephesus, it was, was slowly but surely the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire um, the Gentiles, when Paul says you can't be like the Gentiles, he gives this large swath of the nations, the ones who are not under God's plan. And the general trajectory of any culture like that is towards these things we just read about. Because again, um, uh, for them, they don't have the conscience of God. And now the, what Paul defined here to the Ephesians was pull yourself out of this because slowly what we saw in the Greek Empire and in the Roman Empire, oh, there was some very virtuous people. There was some amazing, right, philosophers, senators, and everything else, warriors and others. But in general, if you study that culture, it was extremely decadent. And ultimately, it's that is what destroyed the lack of virtue, um, destroyed the Roman Empire. Um, I don't need to make any <laughs> references back to where we're at today. But that's the general trajectory. And Paul says, look, you've got to pull yourself out because there was this false teaching that said, ah, oh, you can go and, and you can be a part of all that and you can still have Jesus too. You can still be, you know, follow him and experience real life change right in your life. And he says, pull yourself out. That's the old, that's the old thing that you're a, a part of. And, um, what was important here is he gives the extreme example of that culture. Not everybody was all that hardness and callous. Again, I said there's some virtue, right? Um, 
But in general, that is the trajectory where it's going is that people come to the end. Uh, any culture, any nation comes to the end of itself if it does not right, have a, a very benchmark of truth and of morality. Right? It's going to eventually go decadent in, in, in the whole culture. Right, ultimately, is going that way. Um, it, with everything going on in our nation, I would just think this. Let's go a different end around on this issue. And just to think about who is casting a vision for all the decisions morally that we're making as a nation. Who is standing up and casting vision of where this is going to take us as a nation? Has anybody got it with all this pushing our children, with all this pushing higher education, all this agenda out there? Now even corporate America has adopted half of this stuff. I ask you, is anybody... Anywhere, because if you find it, please give it to me. I'd love to see it. Has anybody given you historically any facts, anything about this is good for a people? This is good for a nation. When we redefine what God has sacredly made, marriage, and go down the line from that, that this is good for any nation, this is good for any people. And can anybody give any stats, resources, history behind that, or a vision of we need to do this because this is better, this is where it's going to go? And the answer to that is no. And that should wake us up, people, because we have examples throughout history where this is going to take us. And this is why Paul is saying, come out. That's the old. Don't be persuaded. Don't be but numbed and calloused by these things that have no plan, have no vision of, of, what, is, of what is better, right? And so we simply believe and receive the gospel. Paul says, that's not how you learned Jesus, now, I, I could take time to go deeply in here, is that in Ephesus, there was a catechesis, there was a, a catechetical a teaching, deep teaching process as people came to the church about the things of Jesus. And so when he says, that's not how you learn Jesus, he's speaking to a church that they had been preached and taught, this is what it is to follow God. This is what it is to um, be a new creation in him. And the base of that teaching was, it is a radical putting off of the old self. It is a renewal in the spirit of our mind, the Holy Spirit now informing my mind, and it is a whole putting on a whole new self, a whole new thing. This is not, in other words, what Paul is basically saying is, folks, this isn't just a makeover. This isn't just a new philosophy. This isn't the best version of you. This is none of that. This is a radical, radical, complete new thing that happens to you if you know Jesus, if the gospel has touched you. And so how have you learned Jesus? And did, were you taught when you came to him to put, put off? Practically, how do I put off that old life? Am I even spiritually sensitive to know that old life to put it off and to put on the new? And have I been taught how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, how to let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God inform my thinking that my thinking can be freed up from all the craziness, right, that can get a hold of our thinking? Is that how you learn Jesus? And so it begins when we talk about how to really change. Nothing's more important than the beginning place to believe. And to receive, to come to that place that I, I have not the inner resources, God. But Jesus, you do, and I believe you. And I receive this, the most glorious good news, by faith. Nothing I have to do, no religion, no stepping through the hoops. It's a free gift I receive. 
and then to step out in baptism. Because the truth of that inner confession means, right, there needs to be an outer confession to tell the world, all right, my church or family, this is what God has done for me. This I've received and I'm going into the waters. And the beautiful picture we just last Sunday right here, right, is we saw someone stand before you alone and give their heart, grew up in this, in this community, right? And God got a hold, God moved on this young man. And God is moving on Lars in a powerful way. And he stood to give you profession. Goes under the water. The old Lars washed away. Coming out of the water. Right? The new, the newness of life. Filled with the Holy Spirit to lay hold of now. How do I change? How do I become more like him? And lay hold of this life that God has for me. That does not end. Right? That has eternal life. And the Great Commission, folks, is, is about moving to this this believing and receiving, and then to public profession, part of the body of Christ, right? And then immediately into discipleship, that somebody walks alongside us and shows us how to do this. Have you learned Jesus like that? Was the power of the gospel of really what it is for you, this radical new way of life, is that how you learned him? And did you learn it with so much joy that you got a chance to profess that, right? In baptism, and then after that, does someone walk alongside you? Man, let's dive in. We got to flesh this out. We got to we got to learn how to follow him and apply the word of God. That's the context of this. That's what Paul is saying. That's how they learned him. Now, to just get very personal with us, is that how you learn Jesus? Is that the magnitude of the good news that got a hold of you, or did you learn Jesus in America by just being a good person and just showing up at church? Maybe you're baptized. Maybe you went to some Bible study classes. But I want to ask this question this morning. Did a move of God happen in your soul? I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many good things you did. I don't care how much money you gave to the church. On and on. What matters is, did God move on your soul? And when you stood and gave a public profession, did you do that with all joy for what the Lord has done in your life? Is that how you learn Jesus? Because God moved. Because I'm telling you, religion is a deceptive, very superficial thing. It can keep someone just going through the routine and never encountering the living God. And this whole idea of putting off, putting on. And therefore, when it comes to change, is we wonder why people are sitting around and I'm still depressed. I'm dealing with all this. I'm dealing with this and that and, and go on down the list. And you're like, man, do you know how to apply the gospel? Do you know what God has done for you? Do you know the resources that are there? To bolster you and change you and, and love you and, and strengthen you? How have you learned Jesus? The second one, and I have some other verses, just don't have time to take those, dive into them. Join and grow with Jesus' church. Folks, I mean, we are so the autonomous self, the expressive individualism that has taken over in our land here as Westerners. Folks, it will keep you isolated. Isolation kills. Community builds. The lie of the enemy is you can do it on your own. You can suck it up, pull your bootstraps up, right? That's the kind of the American way. It's just not the biblical way. As I said before, is we need each other. And this is what Paul is saying is the putting off the old self, that sounds selfish, but he's speaking to the church. Those are all in plural use. 
is we have to do that together. And that's what I was saying, this idea of once I'm baptized, once I believed and received, now I got to walk with somebody. Somebody has to show me how to apply the gospel in my life. Someone has to very personally, not just on a podcast, not just going to a Bible study class, somebody has to intimately be willing to love me enough to get into my life and to bring the word of God and the power of God in my life that I can have Jesus and God's moving and I know when the Spirit's leading me. It is the way it happens. Not out there, not in an individual run or journey. And so the next thing is to join, grow, see it. It is his, we, the, song we, the song we sang um, uh, about the bride of Christ. Jesus is coming back for one thing, his bride, that makes herself ready. And we're going to come to that in a minute. All right? Third one, apply the gospel to our mind, emotion, and will by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that how you learn Jesus? Does someone teach you how to take the, the glorious good news of the gospel and to how to apply that when you're dealing with something traumatic or, or, or a addiction or just going to a list of whatever we all deal with? Has somebody walked with you and showed you how to take the gospel, which is the power of God to save, heal, deliver? Go down the list. Nothing is too dark or powerful or strong that the gospel cannot heal. Has someone walked with you and showed you how to apply the gospel to your thinking so the Holy Spirit is now informing my thinking, my intellect. It's the filter now. Has someone showed you how to well, take the gospel, right? And, and to lit now, oh, that, I mean, we all know what it's like to be, have our emotions consume us, drive us. Send us to a dark place. Has anybody taught you how to take the gospel? And how the gospel applied in my life, in this very relational dependence on the, the Holy Spirit in my life, to exchange my ugly emotions for the fruit of the Spirit. If somebody shows you how to take off, it's, this is just taking off, like taking off the clothes. And to put on the fruit of the Spirit? Someone showed you how to do that? Can you give testimony this morning about walking with Jesus in, in that radical testimony? Man, I was this, I was that, but such and such walked with me. We prayed, we dove into the promises of God and, and he, I was able to take that off. And I was able to, by faith and by the power of the Spirit, put on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You do not have the inner ability to do that, nor do I, nor does anyone in the, the course of our own life and the world should show us that. But God has given us more than we could imagine to take off, to put on, and to be renewed right in our mind. Final one, pursue holiness. And he says, put on, look at this language. And to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on this new self, this new man, this whole new being that now is in fellowship with God. And, um, and it says, 
put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, gang, the problem with these two words, righteousness and holiness, is, um, man, they're, they're just like churchy words. They're like bad words. Nobody's excited about righteousness and holiness. And that's just the word. That should tell us something. There's a real battle out there. There's nothing more glorious. God's purpose for you in, is to live forever with him and have a, a huge purpose. We get in, that, the, in the renewal of this earth. There's going to be all kinds of stuff going on that God had. He wants us with him. But he is holy. And he says, since he is holy, we're to be holy like him. And the pursuit of holiness and righteousness and the bride making herself ready, the church, is that we need each other to, to push each other on, right, to this new self, this, this way of living, creating the likeness of God. And um, folks, there's nothing more freeing than righteousness and holiness. It is not trying to be the church lady or the, you know, the, the whatever, the, the Pharisee. It is about intimacy and affection with God. Where God moves, right? And the whole thing has to change because it's the church. You should be the shining light as a megaphone out to the world. There's a better way. Young people, there's something far, far more exciting, far more healthy. Just give me any category and I'll argue that righteousness and holiness is God's way is a thousand times better than the ways of the Gentiles, everything the world tries to drag us into. Sex. Just got on the list of everything. The world has lied. And it keeps lying. It's deceiving us. There's something a thousand times better. It's walking with God. It's growing in holiness and righteousness. That's growing into the very purpose God created us to be with Him. I, um, anybody go to the Kygo, uh, what is it there? Was smoker or uh, chain smoker concert last night? I didn't go. Um, but I was a part of the concert because I went to bed about nine, a little after nine, and um, I could almost hear the words, right? It was pumping that way. Um, folks, we live in an amazing place. Listen carefully to me. It offers probably in this small of a territory more than any place in the world. If you want to challenge your intellect, if you want to meet the one percenters in the world, if you want some of the greatest recreational beauty. Just go down the list of things here. It's an amazing place. Absolutely amazing. If there's one major thing Aspen's missing, it's a move of God. In all the history of this town, there's never been a revival. Never. Oh, there's been churches back to the Silver Age and, and you know, churches here and there, but most fade and go, whatever. There's never been a move of God. Now, do you know what I mean by move of God? Move of God is, I recently read about, and you can read about these all around the world, all throughout history. Um, talk about Pentecost, right? There's plenty in the Bible, right? It's a sovereign move of God along with the crying out prayers of God's people to bring His presence and His mercy and grace to shine and awaken people to something better. To something better. And um, the Hebrides was... Back in the 1940s, 50s, 
this little town in Scotland, 400 people in this little village. And they'd experienced a move of God. It was, you know, you had missionaries come through and everything, but it had been pretty dead, 400 people. And uh, there was two 80-year-old ladies who had bad health. And they set their, their hearts upon every night pleading for God to come and to bring his presence in their village. They even told their pastor, Pastor, better get ready. We're going to have a revival. About two years later, if I get the story right, one night, little prayer meetings were popping up everywhere. And one night, God sovereignly came down. And you can read about this. And not just there, all throughout history. And he visited that little village. It's an unknown little village. But you had two people. And what does God's promise say in the Old Testament? God's eyes look throughout the entire world to see who's fully devoted him, that he might come and strengthen them and do something great. The Spirit of God hit that night and it said the entire town, nobody was untouched by God. People were just walking down the street and the conviction of God hit them and they had to find their way right to a sanctuary where they met God, where they confessed and where God overwhelmed them. And of course, the ramifications of that were huge, right, in that whole uh, community. And we could give, I could sit and give you story after story uh, about that kind of, we have many cities in America where there was a move of God. There was something that, boom, the presence of God hit. People's lives were radically changed. They were rocked out of this, just kind of, right, stuck in, uh, consumed with what the world, right, has to offer as such. Now, folks, um, Kygo and chain smokers, why do we love that? Why do we love having a big event, dancing and partying? And why, why do we love that? It's fun. It's fun, no question. But folks, I just want to just point something out. There's something deeper going on. I want to end by taking us to an amazing passage in the end of the Bible. Revelation 19, there is a reason why, folks, we long for a party. There's a reason why we long to party with friends and to sing and dance and drink and be merry. And um, The problem is this. The problem is that there's a substitute. Right? There is a deception. There's a fake party that only ends with the morning after junk. But folks, God comes to us and he's preparing a party like no other party in the world. And you know what? You're invited. And he says this, in the very end of the Bible, heaven breaks out. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice, exult, and give Him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. We sang about it. And His bride has made herself ready. That's the church. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Everybody's invited to this party. And this party is the opposite of that Gentile stuff that we just read about. And Paul says, That's, that party is deceptive. 
if that's all you're looking for in this life, it is going to lead you to death. There is no future part. And just how do you feel the next morning should give you a little indication of that. And the consequences of a life that just parties and gives themselves to the party of the world. Don't get me wrong, it's fun to go enjoy some of these. But if I get sucked into that, and I miss the greater party that Jesus is inviting us to, I miss life. And folks, it's that trajectory change to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing to live. And that should change every part. I'm preparing for the greatest party in the history of the universe. That God is at the center. And do you know he says all in the Old Testament, all the wonderful prophecies that he will rejoice. He can't wait to bring you to the table to rejoice and sing over you. Zephaniah 3. Can you imagine that? Your creator singing, rejoicing. What did Jesus say at the Lord's table getting ready to come? What did Jesus say? It was amazing. He said, church, don't forget. I will not eat of this again until what? I do with you in the kingdom when I come back to this place. And folks, I, I give you this morning. There's a party that you're invited to. But you've got to believe and you've got to put on that gospel, and you got to take off the lies and deception of this world. And it's only by leaning into the spirit and the body that we can help each other do this, right, and accomplish this. So, Father, thank you for this morning. And, Lord, um, <laughs> I want that party, Lord. My gosh. May we, Lord, live for that. Marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not just a party, it's a wedding. It's the fulfillment of every deep longing of our heart, our soul, and love and relationship. And Lord, I want this town to get a taste of that. And so, church, would you join me in praying, God, would you do something far beyond what we could ask or imagine? I know it's crazy thought. God, do this in a place like this? God, you just start stirring people's hearts. You'd start awakening people to just ask bigger questions, to start longing for more, to start to see the just the, the lack, Lord, of fulfillment of what the world has to offer. Now, Lord. Father, finally, I just pray for that person here, Lord. I feel stuck. You just come, shower your love. Maybe all they can do, maybe all they have to offer you, Lord, is just an open heart. I ask you to just open your heart. If that's all you can do this morning, just to cry out to God to move in your life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.